Welcome to episode 403 of We Don't Die Radio. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the number one international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And just a reminder, our home base is wedontdie.com, where you can always find our free Sunday gathering every week, 2 p.m. New York time with medium demonstration included. Also, we have so many upcoming live events, medium classes, and so much more. So that's at wedontdie.com. Now, here's a question for you. What if our children were taught about life, death, and the afterlife at a young age and embraced the fact that we are more than our bodies and that we're really divine souls having a human experience? Well, our guest today is Marie Antoinette Kelly, author of the brand new children's book called Danny's Day in Heaven, inspired by one of our good friends and previous guests, Danian Brinkley. She is also an award-winning artist who has done hundreds of commissioned portraits, as well as the art for the Angel Quest Oracle cards. There's so much more to her, but we'll let her tell you in her own words. To find out more about her and her beautiful work, visit makfineart.com. Marie Antoinette, a warm welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Hi, welcome. I mean, thank you for having me, Sandra. I so appreciate being here. We both get excited, I know. Anytime (laughs) someone new, we can't help it. So sit back, relax between you and me and our listener and our viewer. Just imagine that we are, you know, just sitting on a couch together. And for anyone listening, if you'd rather see us, just go to YouTube, type in We Don't Die Radio 403, and you can see our beautiful guest. So my friend, I'm so happy to have you here. This talking about children and children's books is very rare when you talk about the afterlife. So could you tell us a little bit about you maybe where you live and a little bit about your story that would have you create such a beautiful, beautiful book. Oh, sure. Thanks, Sandra. Um, at this, at the present time, I live at the northern boundary of Yellowstone Park in a valley called Paradise Valley. So it's quite natural to feel inspired about heavenly things here. It's so beautiful. I didn't always live here. I, I am from the Netherlands. I grew up in Europe. And um, when I was a child, that's kind of where the whole story started, because I was a child that was afraid of death. And I had a lot of questions and experiences with things I couldn't explain. And nobody really knew how to, um, you know, set that right in my world. And so I think those unanswered questions kind of left me feeling like death was a black hole that could gobble people up. And it made me more afraid of it than I needed to be. And I I felt all my, you know, um, long story short, I got around to this point, but I've always felt that it's helpful for a child to know the truth of what happens when we die so they don't have to have the experience that I had. How <clears throat> early on did you start realizing that it's more to life than meets the eye? Was it when you became an adult? I, oh, the answers that were coming, you mean? I mean, I'm always new, you know, there was always questions and experiences and um, yes, when I was an adult, I um, started the quest pretty hard of like, what are the answers? What are the insights? I have a natural spiritual bend. And, I, you know, I studied most of the world's religions and really just got deep into the language of God, I like to call it. And um, at some point, my husband and I uh, made friends with Daniel, Daniel Brinkley, the author of um, Saved by the Light. And he's one, I don't know for your listeners who don't know him, 
he's someone who has had one of the most complete near-death experiences on record. And um, he wrote that best-selling book. When he came out to Montana, we made friends with him, but I got to hear his his story firsthand and having that empirical evidence that, you know, we don't die and how it's really going down and what happens to your soul and how you transition pretty much from, you know, your physical existence to your spiritual self. That was just so reassuring to me. And it just validated everything that I intuitively had, you know, known, but never could set right in my world. So that was a breakthrough for me. And at that point, I knew there was the material that I needed to present to children. And so um, Daniel's story, you know, the first one of many, because at this point, I think one in 25 Americans have some experience with, with uh, near death. So the statistics are really um, revealing that it's a, it's a hidden topic I think we need to talk about. And so I, I told Daniel, I want to talk about your story because everybody talks about it for adults, but nobody for children. And so I, I said, you know, of course, Daniel himself, he got struck by lightning. And I know that I couldn't translate that story literally because, you know, speaking to children, you have to come from the perspective of a child while staying true to the subject. And I, I couldn't have a child be struck by lightning and recover in 30 pages. So um, I, I made a, some small adaptations, but stayed true within his findings and the findings of people that have had near-death experiences around the world. Would you tell and us so the I, story? Yeah, so so I did. I have the book here. I can show you. Yes, but, um, Annie's there's... day in heaven. <laughs> I've read it. I have. I have. And you oh, did the good. Artwork. Yeah. Yeah, I did the artwork for you too. And so, so yeah, so I turned um, Daniel into a twelve-year-old, and I, he actually provided me a photo of a sixth-grade class. <laughs> so I have, uh, um, you know, because I'm an artist, I turned that into a portrait, so um, you know, people could connect um, his story with the story of that I presented, but he's a 12 year old boy in there. And um, this 12 year old boy is a bully on the beach and uh, he gets caught in a storm. And then that storm drags him underwater and he drowns. And in that drowning, he transitions to the other side and he goes through the steps that most people who have a near death experience go through before he gets returned to his body and uh, resuscitated on the beach. Well, so children get a glimpse into the process of what happens when we die and how life really doesn't end the death at all. Well, that is the condensed form. Yes. <laughs> Very condensed. Yeah, I didn't know but if you, you wanted me to give it away or not. <laughs> you can, well, I think you can give it away. And the okay. reason I say that is because yeah. who buys children's books are parents. Yeah. And so it's unlikely that you're going to get a little kid to listen to this. And I yeah. want, I really would like listeners and viewers to know maybe a little bit about Danny. Yeah. He had this experience and what kind of things happened because I've, like I said, I've read your book and there are so many things that are consistent with so many near death experiences because who he was before, and let's face mm -hmm. it, we mm -hmm. all know kids that are a little tough. Maybe they're a little bit of a bully and all that. And I know from the adults, and I've interviewed, I don't even know, over 100 adults that have had near-death experiences, they come out a changed person. Mm -hmm. They come out a person who wants to help, who wants to share, who wants to serve, who want people to live a better life. So our little 12-year-old boy, Danny, goes through some yes. color. So if you don't mind just sharing yes. a little bit more, because I it's an 
very easy read. The Mm -hmm. message is profound. And I do think parents watching or grandparents, uh, this would make a beautiful gift for if there's a child in your life. Well, uh, thank you for mentioning that how people are left changed by the near-death experience, because that is a very important point. And I think the message got condensed for me, the what I wanted to present is that you don't have to be good to get into heaven. And Daniel was the first one who really brought that message home for me because he was a self-described bad guy at the time that he had this near-death experience. He had been in the army. He had done the ugly things that you know you have to do sometimes when you're in the army. He also grew up in the Bible Belt, and he said, if anyone was deserving of what you're taught as is hell, then it was me. And he never went anywhere near it because there was no such part in his experience. So um, I translated that very important message to Danny being a bully because, you know, kids have to deal with those kind of scenarios in school. Kids are just not, they don't have the kindness of their heart open. And so Danny is that bully. And uh, just like the message I just mentioned, he gets into heaven because the whole uh, discussion that I'm hoping that it will open up for parents and children is that um, it's not a bargaining system. You don't have to barter. It's about how you express yourself and and, and what you have in your heart. It's really um, love and potential for creation and kindness. And that is kind of the message that he gets from the other side when he is based in that light and that unconditional love and that, and that, um, total, you know, support and brilliance of the other side. He wakes up to the idea that he hasn't been a nice person. He gets to see his life review like, uh, um, people do once they have passed. And in that life review, he sees that he didn't share any kindness didn't create happiness and he feels ashamed and embarrassed of himself and it's again not from a place of punishment or um you know um dogma even it's from that awakening to what he could have done with himself he sees the potential and he knows how uh, kind he can be what's hidden in the secrets of his heart and he knows what you know really is behind that now that he's stepped into the spiritual dimension and so he he wakes up to that power, and when he comes back, he is committed to a path of creating love, creating good, and you know bringing happiness. Beautiful story, yeah. Beautiful story, beautiful book. And at the end, you've got some questions that can open up conversations yeah. between parents. Can you talk about why you put those questions in there? Well, yeah, and and that's uh, brings up another point of the book is like you said, there's many layers to this book, even though it's a concise and quick read. But uh, one part of the book is, you know, I, I put the piece in that I just mentioned that it's not behavior related per se to get into heaven. It's more our own state of being that resonates with the love on the other side. Um, the other part is that I didn't make it a, a book that decides for you what your spirituality or your religion should be. Because people that are devout Christians, they will have an experience of Jesus on the other side. And people that are Buddhist will have an experience corresponding to their philosophy uh, on the other side. Because the nature of spirit we find is unconditionally supportive. And so it supports you where you are in your discoveries of truth. And so the book is not deciding for you um, what your philosophy or your religion is within the life that you're living with your kids. It's just leaving, it's sticking to the facts of the experience. But like I said, all these people around the world that have had near-death experiences, um, scientists have begun to study those experiences and they've 
boiled it down to common denominators, such as um, most people experience a tunnel in which they, um, through which they travel to enter a, a world of brilliant light that is unconditionally loving, that is overwhelmingly uh, beautiful and um, euphoric uh, for them. And then at, at that point, most of them meet a being of light who guides them or who receives them, and they have their life review in which they get to see the, the results of their own actions, not just their own actions, but also as seen and experienced through the eyes of the people they have affected. And that's really where it hits home, how they participated in their life. And they find that there is no judge for it other than an awakening within themselves of what they've done and what was possible. And so then after that, the guide is still you know, helping Danny process that, at which point he gets introduced to some people that he loved uh, while on earth and lost. And they are already on the other side and he gets to meet them, which is also a feature that, or a feature, but it's an element that happens to people. They, they obviously, as you know, and many people already know, you get to meet whom you loved and find out that you never really lost them. And um, he gets to meet his pup as well. And so after all that, his heart's pretty full. And, you know, he gets sent back. He, like most people with an NDE, he doesn't want to go back because the, the difference in, in vibration is stunning. And, you know, everything on Earth at that point feels to most people um, a little sluggish, like they're in some sort of molasses. And it feels like they have to make a real decision to go back. And so he gets, you know, that choice. And for them, it's uh, for him, it's a choice as well, but it's a choice that he can now create something that he will be uh, proud of and uh, make this world a better place like we all want to do. That's so beautiful. for that reason, there's so many elements in it. And then the questions, I can only imagine that children who read this have you know, a million questions on, on any one of those angles, you know. Who are you going to meet? To what is it like? And how does that fit into what we believe? And, and so it's, it's wrong for me to say this is how it is. In fact, I struggled with that for a long time in the creation of this book because I felt the weight of accountability. Because for children, you want to be pure and you want to be honest. And I, I obviously had that intention very deeply. But I struggled with the idea as an artist, who was I to interpret what it would look like on the other side for them? And for years, I was like, it's not good enough. And it's, you know, all the critics inside of me were like, this is not really, um, I haven't seen it. Lit and I was struggling with my with my literal rational mind trying to say it must be perfect. And I, I had to grow through that process with the same kind of gentleness that, you know, anyone who touches the other side gets coached with. And I realized it wasn't so much about what I painted as it was about how it felt, because it's the feeling of the book that is going to invite you to remember and, and resonate with it so that you can open up to what you know is true for you in your heart. And that obviously is a place of discussion because you want to share that with your children and your children will, you know, I think all of us have um, the other side of us is a spiritual uh, nature. And so we all have experiences, whether we have articulated them or not. And hopefully this book prompts you to begin those discussions. And that's what the questions are designed to facilitate. Yeah, it's not just your words, it's the beautiful paintings that are within it, the pictures, the portraits. And I think it's a good conversation to have with kids because what may be surprising to people is that there's a lot of young kids that know things. They have a psychic na nature. Mm -hmm. I've done episodes about this and talked to people about this, 
that young children come into this life and very often say things like, um, I, I know I met a, a man who said that it, he, the child had said to the mom, you know, you, you now have, um, you don't have curly hair or something like that. When I picked you to be my mom, <laughs> you had curly hair and both in glasses, I think it was. And the parents are looking at each other like this child could po- couldn't possibly know that. So the woman had worn glasses in the past and she also had had a perm, a permanent. And they said, but we've never discussed it. How would they know? And there's also children that talk about um, people in the afterlife that they remember. And I've I've really done a bunch of talks on this, on actually on my new show, Shades of the Afterlife. And so there's this knowingness with a lot of children. And I think at a certain age, when things start going wrong in our life, like I was four years old, my first bad experience, and I was lost at Disneyland, you know, I had bad vision, nobody knew, I was probably just lost for a few seconds. But in my world, that was very real. And kids start having experiences that their ego kicks in, you know, they're not good enough, they're not smart enough, all that stuff. And so I think that this um, psychic sense, our soul instinct and all that gets shut down. So I think Marie Antoinette, to be able to have these conversations, it might spark something within children that it's okay to talk about this, don't you think? Absolutely. And that's, that's definitely my hope of the book as well. Because besides, I like what you how you articulated that, but I also believe that the natural process of growing up, you know, the development of the rational mind kicks in around your teenage years, and that's the left brain. And before that, the right brain is the, p- the part of you as an artist that have come to, to understand it much better, because I was trained as a scientist first, and my left brain got really strong over my life, especially probably my ego kicked in. It was a defense mechanism to keep things safe and understand them. The more I understood it, the more safe I would feel. But um, I think that rational mind is a bit of an enemy to that belief that, you know, you can touch spirit and to the experience of spirit and, and the afterlife, as you said it. And um, I think that's the natural ingredient in children because they don't have that yet. They are just pure intuitive, you know, uh, beings that just absorb and, and participate without that harsh questioning that develops as they get older. Now, not to say that that isn't an important skill. The rational mind needs to be there and really be functional. But I believe if children are taught from the beginning that this is a valid experience and that there's a place for it and that that place is is uh, experienced not just by them, but by millions of people around the world, and that is actually proof of it now, that it finds a place that... that um, holds its own while they develop their rational mind. So I think that's the best of both worlds, because then you have access to the right and the left brain, and you're just more of a whole person. You can navigate the challenges of life based on all of who you are, rather than, you know, what's, what society approves or what you're taught. And I hope that is going to contribute a little bit to a stronger, um, you know, generation that isn't so overwhelmed by the existentialism of our current society that is so bleak at times. Talk a little bit about that. What's possible, do you think, with kids having that education and also that knowing that there's a bigger picture, that a life after death is real, but their life is important? What do you think? 
Well, what what I've found is in my own experience, because um, you know, obviously I'm not a researcher, but relating it to how I've grown, is that once you have access to both sides of your brain and you understand spirit as a natural part of your life, things get easier because I think spirit is, first of all, the voice of inspiration. So even if you're struggling through a, a math exam or some science project, when that inspiration is present, you could literally get an answer just like that or, or you know, a pathway through the, 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 the challenges in your head. And so it makes things whole for people. I think it brings insight and perfection. And plus, I also have seen, you know, how hard it is for people to lose their loved ones when they think it's the end of life, when there's nothing left. It's such a hard-hitting loss that this person is now done. And when you realize through your own experience, not because someone tells you that this person is merely transitioned and, you know, like energy is neither created or destroyed, it's transformed into a, a new consciousness of, of love, light, and they're still themselves on the other side and they can connect and send soothing messages or just love through their hearts. That, that, that grief and that um, bleakness diminishes because I personally believe that grief is the language of the body as it learns to let go of you know physical experiences but that within our spirit there is no grief there's connection there's there's communication there's love and when that finds a place in your life these hard edges of our life that we all experience they soften and i feel that grace enters to help us feel happier and feel more um connected and fulfilled can i share a story about you about a boy i heard of that had drowned and had a near-death experience oh definitely yeah i just have to cough for one second Hang on. oh, no <clears throat> go ahead yes i'd love to hear it i was on an airplane sitting next mm -hmm. to a gentleman and one thing led to another we got some wine we just talked talk 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 and i ended up telling him about my book and my research and you know with big eyes he thought oh i can tell you my story he had two sons, or he has two sons. They're both very much alive. But when they were young, one of them was being taught how to use the bathroom, and the other one really wanted to go swimming. They were at some public park. And so the older boy, who must have been maybe five years old, can't quite remember, was right behind the dad. They were at one of the portal potties as the young youngest one was trying to use the bathroom and the little boy really wanted to go swimming, but he didn't know how to swim. So the father unfortunately took his eyes off the five-year-old just long enough. And he turns and his boy is floating in the water, tried to swim, couldn't breathe in the um, water. So things happened quick. He ended up, being resuscitated, went to the hospital. And when he, the dad was there with him in the hospital, the boy said, I was never afraid, daddy. He said, the big face in the sun was with me. <laughs> and he described floating up to this place and being with the big face in the sun. And oh, he said, so this big face told him <clears throat> that going back to be with daddy. Mm -hmm. That's where he needed to be. And of course, mm -hmm. he's saying this in all children's language. Mm -hmm. And the gentleman on the airplane, believe it or not, after I, mean, I think at this point, when I was talking to him, the boy was now like 18. Yeah, he 
this father has felt guilt all of his life for the, wow. that boy that happening. I said, well, let me ask you a question. How is your boy today? Well, all he does is help other people. So he's turned wow. to a giver. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was able to have a conversation with the father to let go of the guilt that he did the best he yeah. could. But based on this near-death experience, the That's boy so beautiful. really turned into a giver. And I just thought, I love that. The big face in the sun. That's know? so sweet. I know. I love that. And I feel um, that. The, you know, the big face in the sun, anything of a spiritual nature, anything, it's really whatever people connect with because they have all so many unique experiences. It's always about comfort and reassurance. I have never had a person tell me that what they ran into when they connected with spirit was condescending, condemning, or negative. It's, and so guilt is never a natural voice from that side of our experience. It's always from the physical perspective of what we have done wrong, that that creeps in. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was in the airplane too, flying home, and I got to sit in you know some spot by myself without my family. And so I connected with the guy next to me, and he was a young guy, military man. And as I was sitting next to him, I started feeling more and more proud of him and everything he represented and what he did. But it got to the point that I felt like, okay, I don't really think this is my feelings. <laughs> Because I was just introducing, I was just introduced to him. And, uh, you know, he's asking such nice questions. And I was just proud of that. This this really wonderful, well-educated, well-mannered person that he was. And I I said to him, I said, you know, I don't know if it's appropriate for you, but I feel like I'm proud of you on behalf of somebody that you have lost. Because I just feel like, could it be your grandfather or your grandmother? He goes, well, I've lost them both. I said, and I said, well, I don't want to make it up, but I really feel just such pride, pride in you because you're doing what your family has always been good at. Like it's a family lineage. So I, I started telling him what I, how I felt towards him and how, how, um, uh, honorable and full of integrity he came across and how much of a, a strong person and how much his comp- contribution to society would mean. I said, and I feel that this information comes from somebody that has the same name as you. And he says, well, I carry the middle name of my grandfather and that, and he was also a military man. And so we connected with all of that. And I realized that's the kind of effortless connection that we rationalize away when we say, okay, this, I'm proud of him, but I'm just affected by his story. And we diminish it. What was really happening is a little glimpse of someone that cared very deeply for this boy, you know, young man, who who was looking for anyone who would be receptive to get that message across because it wasn't really not about me at all, but it was that I was able to feel it. And because I had just written this book about Danny's Day in Heaven, re- realizing, you know, death is not real. It's just a doorway. <clears throat> um, I was able to trust it and, and pass it on to him. And it, it, it turned into a wonderful experience. We made great friends on the plane and he he felt the meaning of that message from his grandfather. And he didn't doubt it either because people do know in their hearts that life is not really ending with death. It's as we know it, it ends. And so there's a place for grief. I'm not diminishing that, but but there's something new that they can switch over to. And these messages come through in unexpected moments when we're willing to just um, accept them and listen and not judge ourselves or make ourselves feel guilty or you know, push it away. Do you agree? I agree. What a beautiful yeah. story. I think that is our soul nature. And part of mm-hmm. that is 
communication and is that flow. I want to talk to you a little bit about imagination because we live in 2023 right now. Mm -hmm. And I see little kids and they're on iPads and iPhones and stuck to the television. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a parent, so I'm not going to critique anybody's parenting at all. But I do feel that the imagination, being outdoors, say, being writing and coloring and, you know, with hands and things like that. Do you think that in this day and age, maybe just talk about the importance of imagination. That might be a better way of putting it. And because you being an artist. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I'm 100% on board. I am a parent. I'm a grandparent now. And I have seen, I'm not highly in favor of, I'm not highly in favor of phones. I'm, you know, my son, he's uh, just turned 17. And, um, you know, I raised all my kids with the awareness of what phones can do. But I think honestly, and this sounds harsh, but I think your phone will steal your life because it'll never stop running out of little reels or videos. It'll never say you've had enough, go to bed. It's up to us to set these boundaries. And it's the same with our imagination. It'll fill it in for you with images from other people and feelings from other people. And I'm really strongly feeling that is uh, selling us short. I believe our imagination is hugely critical. You know, it's it's a um, I think a faculty of the right brain, which is where I feel uh, we make our first connections until our, we really connect with our spirit. It's like for me, like the way to connect with that side of yourself that then of course takes on a stronger life and momentum. But well, I think the rational brain, the left brain, is you know the one that helps us navigate you know, the objective part of our reality through science in this world. And at the right brain, the imagination and the feeling-based part of our brain helps us navigate the irrational, the intuitive side, the spiritual side of our life. And I feel the imagination is critical to developing that voice. And I think the difference between imagination and spiritual experience or, or, you know, virtual reality, I suppose I'm trying to say, with what's in the computer, what's in the phones presented to people, is it, it doesn't have your feelings associated with it. You're getting, you know, bombarded with feelings from other people that um, kind of shape you. But as I as I kind of navigate that myself, I think imagination is when you go out and play in the beach and you study your insects and you bring yourself out, your imagination takes off, your own feelings generated and your own feelings get educated. And I have noticed through my own experiences that it's the feelings that allow me to translate messages from the other side. So this is the one, the simple one I was just telling about that grandfather and the fact that I could hear that, you know, he had the same name as his boy he was so proud of. That was a feeling. That wasn't a fact that was, you know, coming into my brain. And so I've learned that it's feelings. When I paint, I paint portraits very often. I get messages from people that are deceased and they're always riding in on the feelings. And I think that gets developed through our imagination. So as children, I think it's critical that we develop that skill so that we can be equipped to let spirit be a part of our lives. Incredible. We do almost weekly medium classes with our friends, Carrie Mm -hmm. McLeod and Phil Dykes. And in the basic, 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 which is teaching how our souls communicate through our psychic sense, they talk this very first thing about feelings. So many people think you're going to get some picture or somebody's going to talk to you. Paying attention to just those Mm -hmm. ever so gentle Mm -hmm. feelings. And then certainly other things can, can work from that. I was thinking, um, 
oh, all of a sudden I just lost my train of thought. I was so in the feeling world. <laughs> Where was I going? Where was I going? It was somewhere good. It was something to do with the iPhones. Oh, yes, I know. Our mm. technology, the iPhones, the you know, smartphones, all those things. <clears throat> like you said, there's never ending information and you're hearing other people's yeah. feelings and the things that go viral are usually yeah. negative things. And nobody on one of those devices is telling us you're great. You're good enough. You're smart. You're wonderful. Every dream is possible. You know, all these empowering things, nobody's saying it, right? It's all the, it's all the negative. So to, well, I've actually, in all fairness, I have found a few streams where they are more positive now. And so um, um, that somewhat of, sometimes it is actually ending up inspiring me, which made me feel like, all right, I have to soften my opinion. There's a good side to everything. It's just the balance of it, really. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't mean to misspeak there. No, I know. In all fairness, yeah. But (laughs) I can hear my kids. A lot of kids consuming is not that. Mm-hmm. I it's agree. Not that. So what else can parents do with kids to maybe set aside the phone and things that can engage their imagination? You said go, you know, uh, we used to collect bugs and same thing like that. Yeah. yeah. What other things or what other topics? Well, that's how I did. I mean, that is one of the reasons the questions are in the back of the book. It's to, to generate, you know, curiosity because there isn't like, okay, uh, goal saying now do this it's now do this or do that and you'll find this or that but it's a lifestyle and I I ended up homeschooling my kids until they were in high school when they really just wanted to be in the social scene and in the years before that you know the free flow of life and following its clues it's just so much fun to be able to so let life kind of offer you opportunities and then follow the clues like a treasure hunt we did a lot of imagination I think for little kids it's it's priceless to have a world with fairies or you know nature spirits gnomes and just get your hands in nature and let you know like a lord of the rings style let's get yourself <laughs> or or narnia style but um the idea that you know um the questions i suppose i don't really know what's right or <clears throat> for you but i do know that allowing a child to live by his own rhythm and, and following his questions and his imagination was a real um, priceless um, gift that I was able to, you know, um, have for my kids because we were able to homeschool, taking it a little bit out of the pressures of, you know, society with the schedule of nine to five and all that. And, you know, you need room for these things. I mean, the more stress you have, the less you will feel that you can express that side. But I do believe that spirit is to matter as yin is to yang. So I think if you uh, find a place where you relax and you just let go of all the, the should or what it could is, that part of you wakes up naturally, whether it's in your kids or in yourself. You know it. You know that in the softer moments of life, there it is. And, you know, your curiosity will take you deeper into it. Which brings up a good point. We're talking about kids and we're talking about children's book, but every one of us watching right now is a kid at heart, aren't we? It's mm-hmm. never too late, is it? No, no, totally. And I, that's what been my journey because, you know, like I said, I, as a child, I was really afraid of all of that and because it, it was just overwhelming me. And I can now understand that being in a state of fear about my spiritual experiences, you know, made me attract scarier experiences because my whole vibration of fear would attract scary things in the first place. And so that kept it gloomier and, and heavier than 
it needs to be because I raised my own kids now and now my grandkids. And I know that when there is no fear around the subject, they're naturally curious for the whole spectrum of experiences. They don't end up in the scary things. It isn't like a world of, you know, ghosts and, and hands coming at you in the dark like it was for me. It was really intimidating. And so for them, it's it's curiosity um, that translates to premature wisdom, actually, because my girls, when they were in high school, you know, they lost several of their friends. I live in an area where that there is some real difficulty with the teenagers and they end up being some suicides um, almost yearly. And it's it's a devastating problem in this area. And I remember my girls, while they struggled with making sense of it, like any teen would, it immediately brought out some wisdom in them that they could then share with their friends. And it gave them strength to navigate really difficult things. And it wasn't because they had, you know, answers per se, but it's because they allowed in their, in their childhood years, you know, uh, mysteries to be part of their life. And, and, you know, the other side of the other side of our own language, the inner spiritual language to find a place. And so that was naturally part of them in their teenage years where most teenagers lose, you know, faith in almost everything at that time. It's a very cynical part of life and a very cynical phase in life. And that makes it so hard. So um, I feel um, for children to have, you know, that connection, exploration out of, you know, a fun, playful curiosity. Uh, that's one of the reasons I tried to make this children's book really colorful, not just because everybody who says um, the other side is full of colors, colors we haven't even seen, and that they're so alive, also because it makes it even more interesting and inviting to to find out what is this? What is this world? How do I um, see it peek through in my life? Absolutely. I'd like to ask you a little bit about your artwork. Uh, when did you really get into art? Because you are a fine artist. You do beautiful, oh, beautiful, work, beautiful work. And how did that develop within you? Well, I, I, I actually credit that to spirit, which is one of the reasons I believe spirit brings perfection. Because I was a sci- after I was um, uh, a student, I became a science student, and I actually got a, a national. I grew up in the Netherlands, switched to America college here and I got a national uh, scholarship the Goldwater scholarship for science and I was like wait a minute what am I doing because it was beginning to create a path for me that was really science oriented but there was this other side inside of me that was just calling out for attention and I ended up ending my career with that scholarship rather than having it open up a whole world for me and so um, then I went through like identity crisis, like, what am I doing? What am I supposed to be doing with myself? And I had my two girls at that time and uh as I was raising them, I, I couldn't find any answers. Who am I? What am I supposed to do with myself? It was just chaos inside of me. But I kept studying and getting more information, this time on the spiritual path, still using my science mind to kind of approach my spirituality. And then one day my neighbor was moving and she gave me a video cassette. This is about two decades ago now. And she said, um, I know you're trying to homeschool your girls, so would you like the, this for them? And, and I looked at the video because it said, yes, you can draw. And it was a, a right brain method for how to get into art. And I looked at it. I never watched the video. I looked at it. I said, you know, I used to draw as a teenager. So I actually went home and I picked up a pencil and I out spilled these portraits out of my hand. There was this one after the next. It was like some door got opened up inside of me and there came this 
this this developed skill. And I was like, what? And and it was so funny because beyond portraits, I really couldn't sketch a barn or a landscape or anything. So it was again just something that got like woken up inside of me, but it did start. It was so funny because at that point it was ni- 1999, I believe. And it was at that time that just websites were becoming a thing. So I taught myself, um, you know, some code and I made a first website and I put the line on there, you know, funny how my name is Marie Antoinette and here I am drawing nothing but heads. <laughs> and I, you know, I left that tagline behind since then, but it was just like a little bit of, you know, humor about it, but I was always so stunned. But at the same time, it really brought me to my my innermost being where I just love people and I love them because of the complexity of their spirit and just the the beauty of their souls. And that is the language I love most beyond any, um, you know, language that I've learned. And when I draw a portrait, that's where it takes me, not so much the the. Of course, I capture their hair and their features, but it's the spirit that they represent. Each has a unique one. And that love that I feel for the subject has then made me have spiritual experiences with them, especially if they've already passed away. I've had some really magnificent moments that just that that heal me, that teach me, as well as the person I'm painting for. Excuse me. And so uh, it's deepened my spirituality in a really, you know, an experiential way like i've been able to find the truth of even though i haven't had a traditional near-death experience the truth of the afterlife is just rock solid within my being based on the experiences i've had and i've come to understand you don't have to die to know that the afterlife is real or that spirit has a language that's part of your life it's just you have to open up to it and it's available to all of us I want people to learn without having to have a yeah. new experience too. Yeah. It's so beautiful mm. how you told your story. Have you ever drawn mm. images of people that you see in the afterlife? Um, well, <laughs> I have a pet peeve where I really would like to capture who they are so that when you look at someone, you don't think, oh yeah, that reminds me of them, but it really is them. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have something in my throat that is cough for a second. No problem. <laughs> Yeah, so so I feel it's kind of like, you know, how you, when you have to call somebody, you don't dial a phone number that's almost the same. You dial a phone number that is their number so that you can get them. And I feel that our, you know, like our fingerprints, there's such a unique code about each and every one of us. So if I don't have a photograph or the person with me, then I feel like I can't get their exact essence. And so while I have tuned into people and they have come to me, in dreams even, to connect, to give me assignments to paint. as a story I can, I can tell you if you wanted to, but I don't actually paint without actual references so that I can really hone in on who they are because that's what people want. When they lose somebody that has passed away, they have photographs of the past. Every time they look at them, they remember how they're not with them anymore because there they were in the past. It's some scene that they remember, and it connects them to their grief. So what I want to do is lift them out of these moments that they remember and put them in the now because you can't take photographs anymore of people once they're on the other side. So I feel like that's a good place for my skills. But if I really capture them, then they have them with them again in the now. They can look them in the eye and they can say, where you know, not just where are you now, but how are you feeling and how do you feel about this towards me? And you get this communication. People find that it's a bridge. They find that there's responses and there everybody responds you know, feels the responses in their own way. Most of them translate to feelings, like I said. 
but there's symbolism, there's imagery, there's, you know, all sorts of styles of communication, as you obviously know, since you teach about, you know, these things. Um, but um, it comes from being on the exact wavelength, you know, really knowing who you're connecting to. So it's the person that you know. And for that, you need an exact likeness. So if I just paint them out of my imagination, I can get an approximation, but I don't get an exact likeness because I'll color my, I'll color it with my filters with what I think I see rather than what is really there. That makes sense. What was the story yeah. you said you could share? Well, one time I had a dream in which um, my, I lived in the Netherlands, as I said. And so my mom actually since moved over here with me, but she left her friends behind in the Netherlands and one of her friends lost her husband. And it had been two years and she was still grieving very hard. And so in one of my dreams, he showed up in my dream and he was like knocking on my awareness saying, can you paint me? Can you paint me? Because I need to get through to my wife. And as you know, communication from spirit is very instant. It's like you get a dump of information and it's up for you to sort it out, right? So when I woke up, I understood why he couldn't get through to her and i understood the psychology of her and what that grief had done to her and and the grief in this case um was stopping her from communicating with him so she um wasn't able to pick up on how he was trying to give her comfort and i ended up painting him i called my mom and i said while well, he came and i could tell his you know that it was him because that's undeniably clear um, have you got a photo of him? So that's one of those examples I was mentioning. So she gave me a photo of him, and I was able to use that to get a really exact likeness. It was really him, and I put him in light, just flaming clear, uh, um, a, a realm of light out of which he was reaching forward and, and offering her a butterfly. While I was painting it, I was very much like, oh, the other side's so colorful and everything. So I was trying to add, like, because light is light, and it was more shades of yellow and bright. And then I was like trying to add all my color in this butterfly. And every time I did, I'd feel this pressure on me. I said, no, don't do that. Don't do that. I was like, oh, I want to. And I was like, we were like wrestling, right? He was like, he was giving me information. Don't do that. And I was like, but I want to. So finally, I gave up and I painted it a white butterfly. And it turned out a really beautiful painting. I was happy with it. Well, it turns out that that friend of my mom's came and visited here in the United States two months after that. I had painted it in advance. She didn't know anything about it. So she, my mom invited her for just friendship reasons. She came out. And at that point, I could offer her this painting. I said, guess what? I have feel I've had a visitation of your husband from the other side. And he inspired me to make a painting. And this is for you, for the healing of your heart. And she started crying. And I said, I feel like I understand why you couldn't connect with him. And, and so we had a conversation. And here's what it said. And she confirmed that this was true. I said, I felt from him that your conundrum was that if you could connect with him, that in your imagination, he was a stuck soul that was still in earthly vibration and, and suffering because our world's kind of bleak right now and it feels heavy. And so she felt that if she connected with him, he was stuck in that heaviness and she didn't wish that for him. So she didn't want to connect with him for that reason. She also wished him to be in the light, in heaven, and really in the glorious realms that we know are part of the afterlife. But she felt that was so other than the world she lived in that that was really far away. And so she wished him in heaven, which was super far away, unreachable. And if she connected with him here, then he was a stuck soul in, in heaviness, which she didn't want. So you see how that kept her in grief because she couldn't resolve that. And I said, he's really trying to get through to you using my awareness to let you know that he's both in the light, in heaven, in a completely resolved place of unconditional love, as all this light shows you, 
And at the same time, he's all around you. He's not heavy. He's not stuck. He's really available right here, right now around you. And, and I told her the story of the butterfly. And she looks at it. She goes, my gosh, for the last two months in Holland, I, in my yard, I have been followed by a white butterfly. <laughs> and it was, you know, butterflies are very sensitive to the vibe, and they have a lot of uh, moments. People have a lot of moments, but I had no awareness of this. And I know I picked the butterfly because it's often a symbol of communicating with finer energies from the spiritual realm. But that was me just landing the message. I didn't know that was actually happening to her in Holland. She was being followed by a white butterfly, which was clearly the influence of her, of her um, lost husband. And so it was a beautiful moment. And, and I thought to myself, okay, this is just for her, so special. But then I realized that painting itself held the vibration and the promise of you can communicate. Grief is a, a hindrance to the clear communication, but it's also a language of the body that you have to honor. But it's the same for all of us. We all struggle with that idea. Are, are the people that we love really free and happy in the heavenly realm? And where is that? Is it all around us or is it far away? So it's a very normal question. And so... I, I ended up putting that painting in the angel deck that we created. I carried it with Karen because I feel that message is something that, you know, that painting created an energy that we can all connect with. And we all, it represents something for all of us. So um, I, I felt all of a sudden that I was educated. I was given a gift from that whole experience. It wasn't just for them. It was also just as much for me. So I really treasure those moments. That's beautiful. Oh, I love that story. So your website Thank you. is makfineart.com a beautiful site can people get those cards there or how would they best yeah i have a link on there to order it i I have to yeah i have to spend a little bit more time at this point to put all the resources from like places like yourself and all the things that you offer for people on there so that it becomes more of a a through way so that people can find answers but at this point yeah the angel deck's there the children's books there some of my artworks on there and uh, definitely. Yeah, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear from people and hear their stories and, and connect. In a moment, Marie Antoinette, I'm going to just ask you for some closing words, but I'd like to make a couple of <clears throat> announcements. Why don't you hold up your book one more time for us? Oh, okay. Yeah. Beautiful book. There. And then, you know, some, maybe some of the pictures on the inside. I don't know if it shows. You can see the colors are kind of <laughs> flashing by but i'm trying to do my best to capture the feeling from or the vibration of of a heavenly experience and um, oh, hopefully you'll find that in the book just wonderful just wonderful well we'll be back to marie antoinette in just a moment for her just some closing words but for our listener or our viewer thank you so much for being here this is now hard to believe episode 403 also, I have a second podcast called Shades of the Afterlife, which is on iHeartRadio. That's different. That's more of me investigating the afterlife. So within every episode, there could be different topics and things. I really try to stay up with the up-to-date information. That's where you can find a lot about those children's memories and well, just so much more, just so much more. There's so many scientists involved with the afterlife. For me as a beginner, I didn't think any of this was real. I thought there's no way anybody could prove it. I thought near-death experiences were just our brain shutting down. Science has actually proven that it's not an element of our brain shutting down when we have these extraordinary experiences. 
some people are not ready to say what it is, you know, that we can see our loved ones and all so many things, but they are working on it. There's so much information out there. Our home base is we don't die.com at the bottom of the page. If you want to enter your name and your email address, it says you get a few chapters of my book, but here's the secret. It is the entire book grief, the language of grief, all of that is, is so tough. And that's usually the thing that brings us to looking for evidence of the afterlife. Chapter 10 is how to survive grief. It tells what our bodies do during the grieving process, what's in our control, what's not in our control, things that we can do to feel better, to move through grief in a different way. So many families break up during grief. <clears throat> There's a lot of fighting. So there's a whole world of what happens, why, and what we can do to stay whole and sane, knowing that our loved one is together. And I mention our classes, they're beautiful, and there's so many different varieties, but also we offer a free Sunday gathering, which happens 2 p.m. New York time, whatever that is at where you live. But it's about 90 minutes long. It's filled with inspiration, music, videos, fun. And the last 45 minutes or so is a medium demonstration. So each and every week, there are loved ones that come through on behalf of all of our loved ones saying, hey, folks, we're alive. We're real. This is the real thing. So we don't die.com is our home base for everything. So just use it. I'm there. I'm there. So Marie Antoinette, I'd just like to go back to you for a moment for some closing words for us. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for having me because it's been an honor to get to know you and for you to invite me into your circles because I love how you study this and what you find and, you know, your humble approach that you don't say, I know this, but I, I, I at the same time, you learn this, you know this from, you know, what's out there. And I, I really appreciate you, me including. Uh, in that, or you including me in that. And uh, thank you so much. My pleasure. Any words of advice for a parent right now? Trust your heart. I think we have within us the map that, you know, and then we just follow the clues. Everyone has their own journey written in their own heart, I believe. Beautiful, beautiful. Marie Antoinette, you are so filled with joy. I can feel your heart and <laughs> people from here. Folks, thank you. Get the crayons out, whatever that is, creativity for you. <laughs> Set the phones aside. Yes. Everybody, yes. go explore. And if you enjoy these yeah. shows, press the share button. You know, it doesn't hurt. You never know who in your life may have a big smile on their face and they post happy things on social media, but inside they are suffering. And sometimes just a lighthearted conversation like this that makes such a difference can really impact someone. So be courageous, press the share button. Remember the beautiful book, Danny's Day in Heaven. It's available on Amazon and wherever you get books. You can also find the link to that and the angel cards at makfineart.com. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. I've been your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So I put the challenge out there for you this week or today. What can you add for a little creativity and get that right brain engaged and maybe open up a new path to communication you didn't know about? So I really want to thank you for listening or for watching, and we'll see you again soon. Mm -hmm.